Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Smoke Signals. Today we're going to be joined by Matthew Trueblood of Baseball Prospectus. Uh, he also has a newsletter called Penning Bowl, which you should definitely subscribe to. Uh, I believe a lot of money that goes to charity, and you can also find him at Twins Daily. He's going to come on and give us some perspective of how things are going in Minnesota and how things are shaping up um, with their roster and how they feel going into the season and the situation, um, how they're handling the virus and things like that. Should give us a pretty good uh, perspective on the Indians' biggest uh, rival in the division this year, as they were the division champs last year. So, uh, hope you enjoy the podcast with him, and Willie Hood and myself will cover some tribe-related topics towards the end. So, uh, thanks to Matt for joining us, and uh, hope you enjoy. All right, Matt. Thanks for uh, for jumping on with us. Uh, how are you doing, and how how uh, how is writing about baseball going for you in this uh, strange year? It's a little bit of pushing a rope uphill after a certain point, but it it could be going a lot worse. You know, I'm I like to think that I drill for topics in weird places anyway, but you do, <laughs> you know, you start without new baseball happening, you start to run out of things that don't feel like you've already written about them, even if they're under different names or something, right? <laughs> yeah, I have to admit, I I was. Um... I was let go from my previous job back in March and it hit. And then I, I found something new in May. And one of the first things I did after I was laid off was I had to, you know, cut, cut spendage uh, some areas. So I had to cut my subscription. So I had to cut BP and I had to cut VA, unfortunately. But one of the first things I did was um, re-up those subscriptions as soon as I was uh, employed again. So I've been uh, thankful to read, you know, your work again and everybody's work at BP and, um, everywhere else of course yeah i'm continually impressed by especially other people (laughs) people who (laughs) normally have a real flow of constant stuff to draw from like prospect writers which i know you guys do some great stuff with too that uh to have that well just dry up in terms of new content and still have to create new content based on past impressions or past evaluations all of that i and blown away by the folks who have kept doing that at a really high level. Yeah, you guys definitely have done that at BP. I can't say anything's fallen off there. I was really glad to be able to renew my subscription once I uh, found something new. Um, so just what right now in Minnesota, I think it's kind of hard to with everything going on. I think I feel like everything's so localized with the with the uh, pandemic and return to play. So what is your gauge um, on how the team's kind of handling? you know, the protocol for, for COVID-19 and the safety measures, does everyone kind of feel on that team? Do you kind of feel like they're all, all in it as far as handling protocol and making sure that everyone stays safe and can stay on the field this year? Yeah, you're right that it's very localized and it. I think it's hard to compare because uh, it's one thing to make ourselves experts in what's going on on the field. But when we have to start wondering uh, on what level players are really grasping concepts off the field and how they're conducting themselves in a really granular way. It's hard to say. I will say the twins have been saying all of the right things. They have clear organizational protocols in place. You know, uh, Rocco Baldelli straight up to Thad Levine and Derek Falvey have been 
frank with reporters. They've been proactive about communication. We've seen the team, you know, at an ownership level, uh, go further out of its way than almost any other team in baseball to keep all their employees on payroll, including minor league players, but also front office workers aren't getting furloughed, aren't getting pay cuts. They're trying to keep everybody safe, working in safe environments, and to communicate with players and and staff about what's expected, what's necessary to keep folks um, safe. Now, the Twins have already had a handful of positive coronavirus tests. So, you know, that kind of just demonstrates the inevitability of some of this. And also that it's hard to get that full buy-in from 60 players. Um, But at a broad organizational level, I think they're doing quite well. They're being creative. They're being aggressive about, again, extra expenditures, but they are uh, adding plane capacity when they go on road trips, adding bus capacity, uh, keeping people as socially distant as possible, even in those contained settings. So they're hopeful that they are, if, if anything, a little ahead of the average and hopefully throughout the league, people are taking steps like this because it's, it's important. Yeah. And along with that, one of the things in Cleveland, obviously, you know, everyone's addressing COVID-19 procedures and socially distance and, and, you know, people wearing masks, but um, you know, we are seeing a lot of um, things pop up around social justice change. I mean, the Indians are talking about changing their name, obviously that's one of the things here. And I know they had a long conversation about that in the clubhouse, but also went along with um, things like, you know, the protests and related to George Floyd's death and all that. Um, given that that happened in Minnesota, do you know if that's something that the team has addressed? Because that was something that was brought up in Cleveland among reporters, I think, pretty early on when camp resumed. Yeah, I, again, it's it's hard to capture or describe an organization as a monolith in a case like this. There are always going to be individuals who are more or less in tune with that, maybe more or less in agreement with it. Uh, there was an unfortunate post where Max Kepler was wearing what turned out to be a thin blue line mask. Um, Supposedly, he didn't realize that quite what he he was supporting by wearing that and posting it on social media. Um, But the it's hard for every individual to be accounted for and, and to give an organizational assessment. I will say Rocco Baldelli, without really anyone asking, without being sort of pushed to the foreground, immediately became a leader uh, on through his Twitter account, through public remarks that he went out of his way to make to say that he does advocate for the kind of change that protesters were seeking after George Floyd was murdered, that he does believe um, that these systemic issues need to be addressed in baseball and beyond it. And the Twins organization has almost just naturally fallen in line behind that. Uh, I think they would have anyway, but to have the manager who's sort of the face of the organization in a lot of ways anyway, come out and lead that charge immediately made it easy for a team that is already pretty diverse in terms of uh, where they come from, what they look like. um, And their front office is more diverse than most front offices throughout baseball. So right now they're, they are running a series of zoom seminars on being a person of color trying to get involved in baseball and work your way up maybe in a front office hierarchy so they're doing a lot of positive things that doesn't mean everything's going to be positive or that every person in the organization is doing the right things but broadly speaking again i think i think they're one of the leaders at the moment 
I think you hit a, on a key topic there, which is organizational buy-in and individual buy-in as well. Um, I work in the healthcare field and um, I've talked about social responsibility, having social responsibility for ourselves and also having social responsibility for others. Um, all of that being said at the same time, uh, I, I do feel like, as you said, some cases of this will be inevitable. And, and um, I, I wanna kind of turn our attention to the on the field uh, topics now. Um, the rotation was a big point of contention for Minnesota. They added uh, Kenta, oh, I don't know how to say the last name, <laughs> Maida, Homer Bailey, and Rich Hill, who is uh, supposed to be an addition for later in the season. But uh, with the delayed start, Hill is now ready and hoping, um, hoping and not hoping for 180 innings from Medea. Um, I would assume there's a, a lot more confidence in the Twins rotation today than there would have been in April. I think that's true. I think it, it would have been even more true a couple of days ago. Uh, Jake Odorizzi is dealing with upper back stiffness or tightness. They are quick to tell you it's not real severe, and they think you know they'll kind of shuffle the rotation to start the season, but he may not even miss a full turn, that kind of thing, which we would see in March and April with pitchers throughout the league, right? Um, but whenever I'm hearing that, and especially – if it's an upper back issue, you know, that could be something in the lat. That could be almost a shoulder. Um, and Odorizzi's had issues with his back in the past. Uh, I think if Jake Odorizzi is shelved or compromised in any way, then you're back to having some questions about this rotation, not because of the depth. They have a ton of that, and we can talk more about that. But just because uh, you love the Rios as your ace, you love Maeda even as a you know, a good mid-rotation starter. He can match up with a number two when he's going well. Uh, but Odorizzi's emergence last year really catalyzed this team's forward leap. And if he is not able to repeat that because of physical limitations, even if he's just a little slow out of the gate, then it starts to be, yeah, uh, you like Rich Hill. Homer Bailey did some great things toward the end of last year in terms of reviving his career. Uh, but they already lacked aces to, you know, keep up with the Mike Clevengers and the Shane Beavers. And now you're taking a guy who is clearly in the front half of their rotation and knocking him down the depth chart a bit. I didn't know that about Jake Odorese until you brought that up. And it, it sounds like some of the things they do in Cleveland where you're talking about a guy's injury and then a couple of days later you're looking at it and the injury is more serious than you thought. I don't know if that's just a – not having a gauge on things medically until a couple of days later. And they're just saying what they know now. And that, that seems to pop up a little bit more in Cleveland. I know some fans are very sensitive to that topic because they always feel like every time an injury is reported a week later, the guy is going to have surgery. And I, I think they, you know, over overthink it at times, but um, what, what is your confidence level then in, in some of the guys that are down the depth chart? I know, Randy Dobnak and, and Devin Smelter, it kind of sounds like those guys are going to be while well, they were supposed to be ticketed for the bullpen, possibly um, any other arms that we haven't mentioned yet. Yeah, I think for now, Dobnak and Smelter are still ticketed to be in long relief roles, assuming Odorizzi is going to come back, you know, relatively smoothly and they'll piggyback, you know, they may help out some of these guys, some of these veterans that you didn't want to stretch out too far in a very strange sort of 
restarted spring training. Um, and then if they're needed, they can slide into rotation roles. I've written about Dobnek and Smeltzer at Twins Daily, and I've tried to dig in. They're, they're interesting pitchers. They seem to have low ceilings, and there are some things they did last year that really worked in the 50 or so innings that the Twins needed from them that are going to get trickier as the league sees them for longer. Uh, just things in their arm action, their release points, uh, their repertoire, and, and how they can use them uh, that are going to put some limitations on them. But they both have a number of strengths too. You know, they're they're definitely the high floor replacement types that you want to have at the back end of a rotation. Plus, in September when his suspension ends, Michael Pineda becomes available, and in the meantime, he's going to be working with the. Uh, alternate site twins roster you know trying to keep himself stretched out to be a starter uh, down the stretch so they feel like they still have plenty of depth Uh, Yolis Chassin took his release when he was informed he wasn't going to make the team right away so it took a small bite out of it Mm -hmm. but I think they feel like they have plenty of depth and if they really need to dig into the to that depth because of injuries in the rotation or something they may turn to more of a bullpenning sort of piggybacking model than having any one guy take the reins as an extra starter. With the, uh, with the addition of Donaldson, um, the, the twins broke the uh, MLB record for homers last year. And, you know, with a, a healthy Donaldson in Atlanta last year, there's no reason to doubt his health and, and his past, um, and his age, but in his case, do you think a shorter season will will play in his favor? Yeah, I think it could. I, this is one of those things where it, because this is also unprecedented and because so much of it comes down to things we can't predict well, it's hard to say which way it cuts, and it clearly could cut either way. So Donaldson, yeah, he's mostly dealt with this chronic heel thing in the past, which you guys know well about um but he seems to be past that great he comes into the season healthy there's not going to be a long grind to wear down a 34 year old body at the same time it's a violent swing it's a very sort of daring physical style that he takes onto the field every day and one little strain instead of costing you two weeks in a six-month season ends up costing you 20 percent of the regular season if that were to happen so I think it's probably better for him on balance, but the risk is also ratcheted up. Yeah. I I do kind of wonder about soft tissue injuries and this really quick ramp up here that guys have. I know a lot of them have been, you know, working out in the time down, but it's just one of those things where it feels like guys are are restarting and and it's the middle. It was the end of spring training basically, but uh, where, where do you see the state of the bullpen for the twins right now? I know Taylor Rogers was really good last year. Trevor May is a fun pitcher. I know Sergio Roma was pretty solid and they added him, uh, added Tyler Clippert, Clippert, who was really good for the Indians last year. So uh, where do you see the bullpen right now? Because to me, I think the one place no team wants to be uncertain at this season is the bullpen in the short season. I think that's true. I also think anytime you think you don't have uncertainty in the bullpen, that's when it's about to just swallow you whole, right? I mean, that's just how bullpens work. Um but I will say, while I almost fully expect that to happen, just because of what I'm about to say next, I have no idea how it would happen to this particular team. The Twins' depth 
in the bullpen is unbelievable. It's the number of guys that they had uh, figure things out last year, emerge, finally put it together. Finally, in May's case, some of it was just staying healthy, but there were also tweaks to breaking ball grips and all right, a breaking ball is not even really working for you. Just throw your vicious fastball much more often. So at this point, you know, I'm looking at Taylor Rogers, who's this rubber armed, extremely durable guy. who can get more than three outs almost anytime you need him to in a relief ace role. You've got May and Duffy pairing up. They're like clones. So you, you can keep them fresh by alternating them with each other and set up, set up work. You've got Romo, you've got Tyler Clifford. These are reverse split righties. You've got Zach Littell and Cody Stashak, who are more matchup type, but not strictly matchup. And uh, they do a lot of things well, miss a lot of bats. And then, you know, Dobnak and Smeltzer and some of the guys that they just have as extra arms, you know, churning down in the 8, 9, 10 spots in their bullpen are guys who would be comfortably in middle relief, maybe even setting up for some teams around the league. If it goes sideways on him, it'll be about injuries or it'll be about total regression from May and Duffy. But it's hard to know on what basis to project that because what all these people did last year was rooted solidly. You know, it it was reflected in their peripheral stats. If you dug past the stats to the performance, to the sheer stuff, measuring spin rates and velocities and, again, repertoire usage, they made positive changes in all these areas. So you can't just expect them to leap backward. Uh, So if they struggle in the bullpen, it'll come as a shock in a certain way. But at the same time, I won't be shocked because that's what bullpens do. With with all that being said, how do you think the roster fits a 60-game season? Well, I think this particular 60-game season is an especially – strange one right because normally (laughs) if you were going to say all right we're only playing 60 games now you would think i think it's more important than ever that i have stars i'm gonna push these guys out there not worry about them getting worn down by the grind all that kind of stuff but we've already talked about the weird ramp up to the season and more than that and we've talked about it but we can't talk enough about it you just never know when covid's gonna come for you Uh, when it might take a bat or two out of the lineup or you know, sweep through your bullpen as an outbreak, you know, a miniature outbreak or something. I think this team is very, very, very well situated for this 60 game season because their advantages are all depth. that despite all the weird externalities of this season, they're well prepared for them. I know a couple of the guys, uh, part of that roster. So Williams Astadio and Miguel Sano both uh, have the virus right now. So maybe you could speak to where they're at in their recovery. And then also Byron Buxton uh, sprained his foot, which looks like it was a, a better outcome than what it looked like on video. Um, so with, with those three guys kind of, you know, going through things, what what is the final shape of the roster? How are the final battles shaping up for that initial 30-man roster? Yeah, well, Sano is back, okay. uh, back with the team. You know, he's been cleared. The timing is coming back a little slowly, and I think there's some feeling that they may want to hold him out of the first couple games as he continues to get at-bats in live BP and stuff like that. Uh, But that's the extent of it. It seems like he's going to be moving into normal usage almost immediately. 
Buxton, he's Byron Buxton. So anytime he's recovering from one injury, it's this countdown clock to the next injury, unfortunately. Um, but you're right. You know, you, when you saw the way he went down tracking that fly ball, it looked like he'd done something fairly serious to his lower leg. Turns out to be a, sort of a sprain of his midfoot, uh, which isn't great for a guy who relies on speed, but it seems to be so minor that they're hopeful he can push through it in pretty short order. And again, the depth comes into play because they feel relatively confident about sliding Max Kepler to center for a while or having Lamont Wade, uh, Jake Cave fill in as extra outfielders. Um, Williams Hastadio, he still has not been cleared to rejoin the team. Um, he's not experiencing symptoms. And from all reports, he's kind of frustrated at this point that he can't be with the team. He's not you know, dealing with severe symptoms of COVID-19 or anything, but can't get back until he gets a couple of negative tests under his belt. These are the rules. And again, we just have to trust those protocols for everyone's sake. They also have Wilfredo Tovar sidelined by COVID right now and Nick Gordon stuck in Fort Myers, Florida, dealing with it. And apparently he has had some symptoms and kind of been knocked on his back by it. So they are, in theory, a little shorthanded, maybe especially on the infield. But in practice, they have most of the guys that they wanted anyway, the, the higher priority infielders, A. Ray Adrianza, Marwin Gonzalez, as the bench players behind the guys that they were planning to make their regulars all along. Um, in terms of battles for the final spots as they form their 30-man, it's really at the back end of the bullpen, and it's probably going to be guys like Matt Whistler, whom they signed over the winter, they're going to try to turn him into a slider monster because every team's looking for the next slider monster right now. And the Twins feel like their coaching staff is in a pretty good position to create those guys. Uh, but ultimately, most of the concrete on their roster is dry just because they've been, other than these coronavirus cases, to mostly minor role players, they've been pretty fortunate to stay healthy throughout initial spring training and this summer phase of it. Have there been any surprises from camp and just how things are being handled um, decisions or any players that have made a splash that could impact the team? I don't think any huge surprises. There are guys that the team had sort of expected to be impressed by, especially on the pitching side, some young players that they've acquired over the last couple of years who are either already on the 40-man roster but aren't expected to contribute right away, or who weren't yet, uh, guys like Joan Duran, uh, Jorge Alcala, uh, Dakota Chalmers. These are, again, it's kind of just extra, extra arms. They're hoping they're not going to have to rely real heavily on these guys, but they're looking healthy, they're throwing hard, um, and the team is really excited about just that the evidence that their pitching infrastructure is still working as they embark on a new year. So I think that's where most of their energy has been focused. They'll probably take, at least initially, Travis Blankenhorn um, on the roster on the positional side because he's looked pretty good in this summer phase of training as sort of a utility guy and extra infield bat. Uh, but it's not a big surprise that they're doing that. He's kind of just a, a solid utility player maybe can edge up 
a little above that if the need arises for it. All right. So Pakoda has the Twins at 35 and 25, which is enough to win the division. Uh, Cleveland's at 32 and 27. Technically, it's it's 32.1 to 27.9. Is that sound about accurate just to how you, you're looking at the rosters and i know it's hard to gauge because this is obviously just the weirdest season everyone anyone's ever going to see but does that sound about accurate do you do you see it playing out close to that or do you think it could be flipped or do you think that you know white the white Sox can find enough pitching to, to top both of them yeah i well i think it's one of those things where my instinct as I kind of look at it, I feel like the Twins do have a small but clear edge over the Indians and over the White Sox. And that's certainly what's reflected by Pakoda's projections. My mind wants to distribute the probabilities a little bit differently. Like, I think Pakoda basically says Twins are 62% likely to win the division. Indians a little over 20, White Sox about 15. I might make that like... 50, 30, 20 or something, you know, flatten it out a little bit. I think Cleveland just has a little more upside. And I think the White Sox, you, know, you mentioned finding the pitching, that is going to be the key. And it hurt them that Michael Kopech elected to opt out of this season. But there's still real upside there that, you know, they set their floor higher by adding Gio Gonzalez and Dallas Keuchel to sort of stabilize the back half of the rotation. Uh, I really like some of the arms that they have in relief. Some They've sort of quietly built up more bullpen depth than they have had for the last couple of years when that was a glaring weakness, as it usually is on a rebuilding team. So, yeah, I think the White Sox could definitely be a factor, and maybe that's reflected in those probabilities I just cited that I would nudge them up as a little more likely to overtake the other two than than the projection machines might think. I do think that Twins have to be the favorite, but a light favorite, which is really the only kind of favorite you can be in a 60-game season unless one of the teams involved is a whole lot better or worse than the Twins and Indians actually are. Yeah, the only only team I can think of that you just really wouldn't consider not a still a heavy favorite when the division is the Dodgers. I can't think of another division where there's just nobody that anybody can win. Like the NL Central, I feel like anybody can win. There's a bunch of contenders in the NL East. I feel like the only division that you don't have to worry about is the NL West, but I guess then again, you really never know. Yeah. I mean, I, that's true. I, I don't see how anyone would push past the Dodgers unless the Padres called upon and got really lucky with sort of all their big young talent, but otherwise everything's in play and that's, you're going to see that reflected, especially once they actually start playing games playoff odds are going to move really violently early in the year because that's going to be the reality, right? Every game this year matters about two and a half times as much as every game last year did. Just watching most baseball from Cleveland. I had a, I did have a lot of fun watching the twins last year. I'm excited to see the white Sox this year. They're like a fun team. Uh, Do you feel strongly one way or another on, on this season? Like, is there anything you're really excited to see about a 60 game sprint? Is this just all, kind of weird and we're not sure you know this is a great idea and if it's going to work i mean do you kind of feel pulled by both sides of that or do you feel strongly one way or the other on it i think i'm mostly in the second category honestly there's just so much else going on around around the game right now and so many 
aspects of the game that I love that we won't be allowed to experience, enjoy, sort of even add to the mix ourselves as fans this year. Um, that I and the ethics of to what extent does this increase the risk of spreading infection in any any particular place? Uh, but at the same time, yeah, a sixty game season it's a unique thing and. I love baseball. I do miss seeing it played. So uh, I, I don't think any of us can help but be pulled a bit in each direction. I probably pulled more toward feeling nervous and kind of icky about it than the other direction at this point, but still looking forward to seeing it all happen. All right. So Matthew Trueblood, uh, you can find him at baseball prospectus, penningbull.com, twins daily. You can follow him on Twitter at M.A. Trueblood. Uh, did I miss anywhere? Anybody ever can find your work? No, that's just about everything. <laughs> I can highly recommend, if you don't already, subscribe to BP. Um, you definitely want to do that. Like I said, that was one of the first things I was able to do. And I found work after uh, layoff in March. So if you have the means to do so, I highly recommend that. I've been reading BP probably since I was in high school, to be honest. So. Um, anything you're you're working on, Matt, that the people should be aware of to look out for? No, yeah, just keep checking back at those places uh, at MA Truebloods, where I'll be talking baseball and anything that I'm writing, I will, you know, be pushing out that direction so people can find it there too. All right, well, Matt, thanks for coming on, and uh, you know, if this race gets close down to the end, between I'm sure it will be close. I can't imagine anyone's going to pull away either way, but. Uh, if things are close later in the year and you have some availability, uh, we'd love to have you back on and maybe talk about it. Sounds terrific. Thank you both. Thank you, Matt. All right. So that was, that was some pretty good stuff from Matt. I think we have a pretty good gauge to, uh, on what's going on in Minnesota. I wanted to do that just for the fact that, I mean, I know I, I watch baseball outside of Cleveland. And I know some people may not, but I feel like with everything going on, it, it's been harder to, to gauge what's going on in other markets, especially, you know, the Indians biggest rival as far as winning the division this year. So I thought Matt offered a really uh, good, a bunch of insight we weren't aware of on what's going on in Minnesota. Definitely. I wasn't aware of all the positive cases and it sounds like there's four or five there. Um, so that will obviously impact their depth um, right now, but who knows how it plays out over the course of the season, but Definitely a good conversation with Matt. I appreciated him joining us. Yeah, I'll be interested to see if, if travel ends up affecting cases because, you know, clearly in Cleveland it was just on the Shields and they've been fine since. So it's interesting to see how other cases are popping up elsewhere. Uh, just some other quick storylines from today in Cleveland. So we know that the rotation is going to be Shane Bieber, Mike Clevenger, Carlos Carrasco, Aaron Savali, and Zach Plesac. Adam Plutko is going to start the season in the bullpen. I have ticketed to the bullpen. I changed my roster prediction, obviously, because now we know Plutko's in the bullpen. But I have nine relievers now between Plutko, uh, Han, Whitgren, Simber, Perez, Hunter Wood, Phil Maton, James Karinchak, and I have Dominic Leone also serving a role out there. <laughs> Um, that sound about right to you. I don't know where your bullpen's at. And, and I'm not really sure I feel great about Plutko in the bullpen, but I guess it's good to have depth. And I, I do like the fact that they're going with the five man rotation because I think in the short season, the, this team needs as many innings out of their starters as possible because that's their advantage. 
yeah, I think you definitely want your uh, front five guys, so to speak, to get the ball every turn that they can to impact the team. Uh, this is like a, the August run um, up to the playoffs it, it, with only 60 games. I uh, I kind of expected Pleco to end up in the pen at some point in time with the pitching depth that the Indians have in the starting starting rotation. Uh, Savali and Plesak looking good uh, this spring and then now into summer camp. So, you know, uh, Plesak's put in a lot of work and it's showed on the mound. Uh, you know, that's not to slight Pluko in, in any way. It's just, you know, sometimes some guys have a little bit better stuff and, and I think he should do well in the pen. Maybe he can be a bulk inning arm or, or something to that extent early on in the season as the guys get stretched out and, and that could be uh, very meaningful for the tribe. Definitely agree with you on the pen. I think Leon is going to get a, a shot uh, probably ahead of Cam Hill, who seems deserving of a spot, but there's only so many spots in a, in the pen right now. And I would also throw uh, James Hoyt out there at some point. I would expect that he'll probably get, get a, a shot to prove himself in the pen. But there's a, a lot of arms and a lot of pitching depth on the Indians roster right now. If you look at the 40-man, I think it was 21 total pitchers on the 40 man. And I don't even know what the count is on, on the 58 man roster right now, but there's a lot of arms on there. Um, I, I think we'll see some of them come in and if guys are ineffective, they, they won't have a long leash like they normally would. So we shall, we shall see how it all plays out. But Leon is not a surprise to me. And I think I agree with your predictions on the uh, roster. Yeah. I don't think Leon's really like, separate himself from the pack, but I think they'll just give him a chance early on to be part of it. And they'll send Hill down as a reserve and see if they need him to pop up or if he, you know, forces his way into the mix, obviously performance won't do it, but I'm sure they'll need him at some point. Um, the other things too, going around is, is the outfield and the infield battle. So John and I had this debate last week and we're still not really sure. I don't think anybody's sure. So you Chang is having a tremendous camp. I think, Christian Arroyo is having a good camp, but I think he has to be on the roster anyway because he's out of options. And then Mike Freeman ha is having a great camp, and we know Frank Kona likes him. But the thing is, you know, Ramirez and Lindor, you need them to play every day in a 60-game season. You, her, Cesar Hernandez uh, had some great at-bats there and against Pittsburgh as a leadoff hitter, and typically in his career, he's played every day. Santana plays every day. So – do you really need all three of them on the roster between Chang Arroyo and, and Freeman and, you know, all those guys are having great camps. I don't know who it comes down to at that last. I mean, I think at least two of them are going to make it, but I can't imagine all three are, even if all three are deserving because you just don't, you're not going to have playing time for, for two of them, let alone three. I feel like. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious about how all of that is going to play out myself. I, I really like, what I've seen from Cheng, I love the power. Um, I think he just needs opportunity. I think there's potential for an everyday player there. Freeman is uh, seems to be one of Tito's guys. Um, he has versatility. He's a veteran. Um, you know, that's the type of guy that you want to bring in off of the bench. I think uh, with his versatility, he he can even play in the outfield too. And, and that's something Cheng hasn't really done since. Um, high school and Arroyo himself. I, I understand he's uh, took a few balls when he was in the Giants organization out in the outfield, but he doesn't have um, the ability to 
transition to the outfield to the infield. And with him being out of options, I think Arroyo is on the roster. They want to see what they have. And, you know, who knows? Maybe he's the, the future second baseman uh, for the for the tribe next season or, or beyond. Um, but I definitely think that they uh, took a risk or took a gamble on him picking him up last season in the trade. And, you know, he's a young, talented guy that just needs some opportunity if he can stay healthy. And, and maybe uh, maybe they end up with a, a, quite a steal there with Arroyo. But I, I'm under the impression right now, I think it'll be Freeman and Arroyo. And, and Chang, unfortunately, probably ends up over in Lake County. I am interested to see. I, I would like to see Chang if, he, if there was playing time for him. But, you know, just in a short season, it doesn't seem like it's a great idea or he's not going to play much anyway. But with the changes he's made, I noticed the other day he got rid of the rid of his kind of his leg kick and he has more of a modified shorter leg kick now where he turns his hip in. So I'm curious to see. I know Francona said he made some adjustments to his front side and we'll see if that kind of helps him unlock the power a little more consistently. It has in camp. Bradley Zimmer too. So the other outfield spot is the other thing we need to discuss real quick is so we know Mercado and Naquin are going to make the team, obviously. Jordan Luplo played in the exhibition on Monday and hit a home run. So we think his back is fine. He should be able to play. Uh, Domingo Santana should be on the roster, although he didn't play last night, which is was interesting to, in, to me with Zimmer playing left. And Zimmer had, you know, the double, the single, and then a, a loud fly ball out to left field. I kind of feel like Bradley Zimmer's played his way onto this team. I know it's stupid and strange to assume that uh, three weeks and three games is enough to earn a roster spot, especially when you're not an everyday player. But I feel like he's going to be on the roster. And I feel like, you know, DeShields is going to be on there at some point. So I think that leaves. Okay. So Zimmer's up. Zimmer potentially is up in the air. Greg Allen, we don't know. And, and Jake Bowers, who I feel like has played the least out of anybody on this roster. Uh, there's still a lot of questions. The last few all field spots. How do you kind of see that shaking out? Cause to me, I have, I have Domingo, I have Zimmer, and I have Allen, and I have Allen in there until the Shields comes back, and I do not have Bowers making it. But I thought it sounded like Matt Underwood alluded to the fact last night that Jake Bowers was going to be on the roster. I'm not sure if that's what he meant. Yeah, I, I kind of picked that up too, but I've been thinking it through. And Tito said something the other day during one of the press conferences about Bowers eventually becoming a, a everyday player and that the club thinks that he has that potential. And, you know, are they going to, are they going to run him out there right now? Or are they going to send him down and, and give Zimmer the hot hand uh, an opportunity? And, and Zimmer has been impressive in, in summer camp. And, you know, with the talent that he's displayed in the past, do you give him a nod? I, I'm definitely curious. I, uh, I was pretty bold making the prediction that he would be the comeback player of the year last night. And I did so kind of jokingly, um, but, uh, you know, I, I'm definitely curious how Zimmer is going to respond if he does get an opportunity out there. And I think, personally, I think he should. Um, he has been more impressive than other alternatives. I'll put it that way. And the tools that he's displayed defensively and, and the arm and, and the speed, you know, I, I think he would be a uh, magnificent left fielder with Mercado and Naquin over in right field. Yeah, I kind of feel like he should be on the roster as well. And I guess I'm I'm swayed by the the change in where his hands are setting up. I mean, he's on his third stance in like three years. So that's, you know, not great. And it's tough to gauge and you're not sure. And I don't know if a 60-game season is the time to 
see if Zimmer is ready to go, but he hasn't played in two years. And I guess they kind of want to see what they have. So I'm, I'm kind of with you. I want to see, you know, give him, give him 10 or 12 games, see what happens. And I don't think having Bradley Zimmer occupy one spot in your lineup is going to sink your season with, with, with what they have around him. Cause to me, I think this is the deepest lineup they've had in since 2017. I don't think it's as good as, you know, having Edward Encarnacion and Jay Bruce kind of filling out the lineup, but when you have a guy like Cesar Hernandez at the top and you have four straight switch hitters and you're pushing Oscar Mercado had a good rookie year hitting, hitting eight, that's pretty good. Um, but I, like you, like you said, I, I am curious. I think Zimmer deserves a shot. And I'm just curious to see how they divvy up the playing time with all those guys in the roster. Cause you know, we know Luplo hits lefties. Well, they wanted to see him against righties, but now Naquin's back. We know Naquin hits when he's healthy. Domingo Santana can, carry a team with power. Uh, I didn't even put Fran Mel Reyes on there. That's goofy on my roster. So I guess I got to eliminate somebody else. We didn't even talk about Reyes, which, okay, I guess that, that eliminates somebody else. I don't know. I'm, I'm just so. I just kind of think he's the DH. I mean, where, where else do you put him? And, and frankly, I think Santana may be the better DH of the two, but, uh, you know, maybe that's neither here nor there. Um, I I've also got to say that I, I was – um, at one point said that Delano DeShield Jr. was the perfect 26th man for the Indians roster because of the speed, the defense, uh, the glove, the uh, ability to bunt too. And he's not somebody that has to uh, play every day. He's somebody that you can bring in as a defensive replacement. You can bring him in as a pinch runner. And these things are going to matter in games like uh, like this. It's essentially a playoff race from go. Uh, you know, I think it's important to have somebody that can impact the game that way. And that's part of the reason I think that Zimmer could be a, uh, could be a prime um, opportunist for the uh, left field position. Because I, to me, Jake Bowers just has not shown it, the ability to, to hit consistently. And, um, you know, I wasn't impressed even after he made changes when he was sent down. Uh, you know, I, I know the tribe is, has been adamant that they still believe in him. And it's not that I don't believe in him. I just think that he's young and he still has adjustments ahead of him. Um, but I want to see what Zimmer has. And, and as I said, he is the hot hand. And I think at some point you have to ride the hot hand and give the hot hand opportunities. And when the guy's been smoking the ball like he has, you, you let him get at bats in this sort of scenario. Yeah, I agree. Session is 60 game season. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, and then, like you said, Jake, to me, Jake Bauer is not starting either of the exhibition games, I think probably says enough about where his position is. So, oh, the other thing I want to note too, Mike Clevenger early on Monday night, comedian was all over the place. John and I talked about it, um, and our little breakdown of the Saturday night's exhibition game that, you know, he was dealing with a knee issue or he was not trusting his knee after having surgery on that meniscus on his plant leg. Um, after being all over the place in the first inning, his command did improve throughout the game. Uh, he was only hitting 94, 95, which is a tick down from him from last year, but I think he'll be just fine. He's in the rotation to start the year. I think if there was an issue, they wouldn't be putting him in the rotation because you can't afford to start a, an injured starter in a 60 game season. So I think that's not going to be an issue. Um, other than that, I don't really have much else. I know you got to get going. Tanner Burns, officially in the organization, he signed last week. Uh, so all six Cleveland Indians draft picks are in the fold. They are not going to be in the penalty for any bonuses. Obviously, not draft picks, but not they don't pay a uh, 
they don't have to pay a fine or anything for going over, correct? They're fine? Yeah, that's that's right. Uh, Burns signed at $1.6 million. They could have went to about $1.85 million um, on him before they would have kind of got into the taxes, so to speak. Uh, I was, frankly, I was a little surprised that he came in at that value. I know uh, Chris McMahon, a right-hander from Miami, got about $1.7 million, which I thought was on the friendly side of the deal. Um, you know, for a guy that was rated 20 at, at a couple of websites, I believe Baseball America, MLB.com, uh, Fangraphs had him at, at 64. I I had him at uh, 42 for IBI. Um but 1.6 million seems a little a little friendly, and, and it makes me curious if there was a red flag on the uh, physical, um, or or if he was just willing to to give the team a, a good deal. You know, it could be that he wanted to sign and get into the Indians organization, and maybe he got a little uh, money for future education on the backside of that too. So we don't always know all of the details that go into it, but I'm glad to have him in the Indians organization. He's an arm. I think I can. Uh, that I think that can move fast and uh, will impact the uh, Indians minor leagues relatively quickly. Um, once we get back to somewhat normal, whatever that looks like anymore. I don't know. <laughs> I know. Unfortunately, nobody knows what it looks like. We're all just hoping it gets there eventually. Uh, Burns doesn't yep. be added to the, the 60 man player pool. So we're not going to have to think about that. Um, other than that, that's about it. I don't know if uh, we're going to do another podcast this week. I want to do official season preview, but uh, the season starts Thursday. So maybe we will get back on one there. Uh, maybe not. The IBI staff picks will be coming out Thursday though. Uh, you have yours all filled out, putting that together as we speak. Um, check out John Fanta's interview with uh, Zach Meisel of the athletic. They broke down the 2020 season there. I uh, frankly want to check out all John's coverage. He's been putting a lot of video together from the press conferences. He's been on with Frank Cody, the other reporters pretty much on an everyday basis. Uh, so you want to check all that out. Uh, Nick Mikulajek was today's Zymans in the rough. That's up there for insiders. So be checking that out and then check out the season preview or the uh, staff predictions, I should say, which weird to say staff predictions for a season um, in July, but you know, that's where we are. Uh, Will, is there anything else you want to, to plug or talk about before we get out of here? I'll have a little bit more draft content um, leaking out. I uh, was actually working on a uh, way too early mock draft um, whenever you contacted me about doing the podcast for today. So uh, I'll probably be polishing that up and getting that out and then some other stuff. And, and I know we've got a few other projects that you and I have been discussing recently. Yeah, I have been talking about the top 50. I think we're finally done. Joe Koblitz is on a uh, a trip right now. He's got some stuff he's taking care of, but we will get around to – we have the top 50, I think, finally sorted. It's just going to come down to writing the profile. So that will be out sometime before the end of July. Uh, so that's finally going to get done now that all six guys in the organization. Um, big thanks to Matt Trueblood for joining us today. Again, please, if you have – the means to do so support uh, baseball prospectus. That's a great site. I've been reading them for a long time. Subscribe to his newsletter at, at Penning Bull. Uh, read Twins Daily. I know I keep up with Twins Daily just because of the uh, proximity and then the division, obviously, just a little bit less so this year because of, like I said, how weird it is. But we appreciate him uh, being on with us today, and hopefully I'll have him back again at some point. Uh, thanks for listening, and uh, stay tuned for another episode. We'll be talking about actual games that count here by the end of the week. Uh, thanks for listening.